get to bed last night? <laughs> so you just love this one if you didn't go at all. <laughs> Have you heard the octopus one? No. You learned a minor I'd like to be underneath the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade. Peter Jackson directs a movie about one Ringo to rule them all. This is spoilers. That's good. That's pretty good. This is fun because we're in the middle of a Peter Jackson marathon, a six or seven week marathon of recording Return of the King. We took a break to do another Peter Jackson movie. Let it or get back. (laughs) This is your host, Pappy. Josh, you kind of sprung this host on me. You've been the most excited to do this. You've been talking about it for months. You said you might like get your guitar out and play some songs, which is cool. Um, you wrote the opening question, too, so I'll start with you. For the audience at home, <laughs> the opening question is, what is your vague hierarchy of the four Beatles, and did this movie change that at all? Yeah. Thanks, Pap. I've been thinking about this movie for a while stevie when did you finish this like a couple days after it came out i feel like yeah i feel like i was the first one to watch this through and i watched it in one day and so me and you have been sitting yeah we've been sitting i've been sitting on this for months probably probably since when did it come out a little after christmas december november was it november i thought it was november 25th (laughs) yeah and we'll get into it but it's a slow roll of a movie and i think by the time it ends pap you just really want to talk about it with folks. So Here I think we this are. is an episode we're going to get. I think we could get a lot of new listeners, just Beatle fanatics listening to podcasts for this episode. So I think it's good to have maybe you face forward for this one, Pat. You're the most like on brand spoiler man. I think we so, could get a lot of copyright host. claims for this episode. So we got to be very nope. careful. Can only hope music. so. No music. If we don't include music in this episode, that is why. That's why we need but, your guitar, Josh. I'll sing. Okay, right, you <laughs> might get a stew going here pretty quick. Anyway, hierarchy of the Beatles. I historically have always like flitted between John and Paul being my favorite, and Ringo and George just kind of resting comfortably lower than them, kind of side by side. And I will say, I haven't revisited the Beatles as closely as I have in the last month in a while. So maybe it's like age, but. Ringo has sprung way up. It's it's now more like John is at the top and then Ringo and Paul with maybe Ringo. At, like if I was going to start a band and ask one of them to be in it, it would be Ringo. <laughs> Thank down, <you>. I think. <laughs> so there's a lot of ways you can think about it. I think John is like still the most fascinating to me. And we'll get into more of those scenes in particular, Pap, as we go on. But is that a fair answer? Is that how you saw that question playing out as we answered it? Or I saw this much, question two, 10 seconds before we started <laughs> podcasting. <laughs> I didn't know that was going to be the question. But No, you did it. I Yeah, no, I can get down with that. I'll, I'll go next. This is Pappy recording from Kalamazoo, Michigan. I, I, I do feel honored to host this episode because I feel like I am really into the Beatles. I took a Beatles class in college. I read a couple books about the Beatles. Based on goodness, uh, like or ex- like necessity to the band, like musicality goodness, I would say S tier John and Paul, obviously, A tier George, 
probably C or D tier Ringo. Like notoriously, Paul McCartney said Ringo's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. Now, <laughs> in terms of oh, what I'd li- how much I'd like to hang out with them, Ringo S tier, John A tier, probably George and Paul yeah, D tier. Like kind of John's down got Yoko with them. John's got Yoko <laughs> with them though. Um, I guess. I would still put John at S tier. Like I don't know. Maybe we can like do some howling together with Yoko. It seemed kind of fun. Like uh, the kids shrieking. are getting into it. Yeah. Uh, I think that the documentary called it unintelligible shrieking or <laughs> yeah. vocalizing <laughs> in the subtitles. Uh, Stevie, why don't you go next? Um, Pap, you know me. I am like notoriously like the furthest thing away from like a mega Beatles fan you'll ever find. From like someone who loves music, but. Just from watching this, I would, I mean, I'm kind of with Josh. If I was going to start a band, Ringo at the very top. That dude just wants coffee, cigarettes, and his drum set, and nothing else. He's so cool. He's so cool, and he showed up on time. He was professional. He just did as he was told. He started no drama with anybody. When he was right. He's the only one who asked for drug for drugs on camera. When <laughs> he was writing his own song, he didn't bother anybody about it. He just showed up to the studio early and started, you know, playing his little octopus garden. It was beautiful. And then, you know, I would probably say John after that, and then George, and then Paul, because I don't think I could stand to be in the same room with Paul for more than 10 minutes. So that's where I'll leave it. Paul McCartney comes across as very try hard <sighs> and annoying in this. I feel like. How I, I have a theory. I have a theory on that, but <laughs> well, save it for one second. We'll, we'll talk about it in a second, bro. Why don't you give your hierarchy though on the Beatles? Oh man, I don't know. Um, I'm actually probably more accused now than I was uh, confused now than I was back then. I just saw something pop up on my Alexa. That was why I said accused. Um, uh, what were you? What were you accused of by Alexa? I, I wasn't accused. <laughs> no. of I'm not gonna say that. What I saw. Let him move um, on. I think that Ringo was definitely came out as definitely the coolest. He was the most chill, relaxed. He didn't complain. He did what he was told. Like uh, Stevie said, he got there early. He's like, "Hey, I got this song." Um, I don't know. Just really cool. If you would ask me 10 to 15 years ago, I would have said Paul. Uh, I love Elnar Rigby, and I think that's the best. I mean, but coming into this, I would have probably said John. I've been leaning more John lately, even though I like I, I like what Paul McCartney did with Linda more than I ever liked what John did with Yoko, personally. But I don't know. John was way more chill than I ever <clears throat> thought he could be. But I think he was also, we'll get into this as well, I think he had also kind of checked out by then. John Paul... Ringo George, I guess. George was a much more of an a-hole than I thought he'd be, um, even though I'm, people said he's like the sweetest guy in the world. So I, I'm sure we just saw some stress. I don't judge anybody for what they were, for what we saw really in this, because I think they were up against it. I mean, they decided to be up against it. They didn't have to, but uh, that's what they decided they wanted to do. And George comes across as a little bit petty in this, I feel like. He's the only one. Brittany kept saying, my God, look how mad he looks. And like, I never, I would never even notice it. And like, even after he came back and he was all happy, she's like, he still looks miserable. He still looks so mad. That's Speak- why he joined up in a band with Tom Petty, the traveling Wilburys. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Petty, Josh, if I want to ask Brett about what his Alexa says, and I'm going to host this episode, I'm going to. Okay. Second of all, Josh, I want to ask you your second note on here Peter Jackson slash Lindsay Michael pig emoji. Uh, how would you Hulk. describe what this is? Like, what did Peter Jackson 
take and then make as a as a documentary on Disney Plus, which is a weird place for this to live, by the way. Which is weird because it seems like we're talking meta about this, but this is actually kind of the content of the movie too, because it's about a documentary. So I think it's fair to talk about it at the top. Let me tell you about the feeling I've got. A bit more. It seems the Beatles were doing an experimental project. It's 1969. They want to create an album, record themselves making it. They hired this up and coming director, Lindsay Michael Hogg, to capture as much as he can. He's kind of got this new at the time idea that they can get uncensored, unrivaled, private conversations that like the public has been waiting to hear forever, even at that time. And so the actual product that came out at the time was the Let It Be album. And then also this Let It Be movie, which is virtually unwatchable. I tried to get Pap to watch it for like three years <laughs> and I've, I finally made it through. How it long has- is it? It's like an hour and 40, I think. But some of the scenes appear in this. Um, Obviously, everything looks so dim compared to this movie. And that's the other part aspect of this. So Peter Jackson not only got access to all the raw footage, but he used his super tech AI stuff a la his... What is his World War I movie? The the brothers, they forgot. Uh, What's that called? Red Tails? No. <laughs> Ducktails, woo. I don't know. They they shall not grow old. Yeah. So Peter Jackson kind of has like all this technology in house for him in New Zealand. And they took all this stuff. And part of the deal too, Pap, as I understood it, was not only would they create a massive dock out of all the footage, anything they could find, but they would also help Apple like sharpen their archive too. Like that was part of the deal. They were giving them back a library that would be more organized, easier to go through audio and visual stuff, like all pushed to 10 as well. But it just, it does feel weird though, that it's on Disney plus, right? Like of all places for this to be, it feels like it should be like HBO max, maybe like Apple, I don't know, like Apple Paramount plus. Well, I don't think the two apples have a, great relationship probably not traditional yeah britney brought that up <laughs> yeah. i was wondering what was going on with, with that but like if they like hate each other or not in this version of the story or of of this documentary of let it be Lindsay michael hogg is a character and brett i don't know if you picked up on this at all like i feel like he throws off a lot of the vibes in certain situations yeah okay so i have this <laughs> i have this article i don't know if i noticed really <clears throat> I have this article up, and take it for what it's worth, because it's written by The Guardian, which every, I think everyone knows is garbage, um, the garbage And But some of it's decent. It's like uh, 10 Things We Learned from the Beatles Get Back. And the second, I don't agree with all of these, I think, but the second one says, Michael Lindsay Hogg made a terrible film and had a lot of bad ideas. And it's pretty much just him. <laughs> they, she talks about the, he's always there. He's always making... Uh, unhelpful comments and directions or telling stories about Orson Welles and just he was so dead on in that trip to Libya dude he's obsessed with Arabs he's like we gotta have 2,000 Arabs with torches around the stage and the rest of the Beatles are like why (laughs) Why and you then being presented on stage you should be sitting there when they are coming in Uh, and then you open the door I would rebut a little bit in that I think the technical merit of what he did stands the test of time. Like with 
all the way up to the hidden camera, which I hope we'll get to on on the rooftop scene and setting up like 10 cameras with cameramen and it being fed down to the basement. Like technically, I think you have to give it to him. Don't you think? Brett? Yeah, no, for sure. But like, did he have to be in there? Got so tired of him saying 40,000 Arabs with candles in the <laughs> night or whatever. <laughs> He's obsessed. Phil, he, I guess he, he did he say he suggested at one point filming in an orphanage or a children's hospital? Not the really sick kids. Yeah, we need him to walk around during what it He's be. like the break your leg kids, not the ruminitis kids. No, but yeah, Josh, like someone like that should take a step back though, right? He, I mean, he inserted himself into it. He's a gutsy dude, man. What can you say? They hired him to be the director. He's in there mixing it up, right, Stevie? Isn't that what you're supposed to do? I guess. I mean... I got pretty annoyed with him personally. Mm-hmm. I just kind of like you said, Bab, it's like he became a character in it, which I think is probably the last thing he should have done. He tried some wild shit. None of it worked. Not to jump ahead too far, but a whole fundamental problem of this project seems to be a lack of like central direction. You know what I mean? At one point, a big fight is about George Harrison thinks they're out to make an album. And Paul McCartney wants to make a movie movie. And this guy wants to make like a documentary and stuff. But I thought it was very telling when Lindsay Michael Hogg halfway through is like, we have no story for the documentary. It's like, dude, George Harrison literally quit the band. Like how much more of a story do you need? That's like the, the oldest band story of all time. Like as long as he comes didn't, back, you have something. Didn't one of them said that, right? Yeah, I think John Lennon is like wise to that. He's like, I think we have plenty of content for a movie. Yeah, yeah, basically said someone quit. Yeah, we have three people now. Yeah, so John. Lennon. Yeah, that was weird. Like, and Paul just kept harping on the the concert thing, the concert thing, but like without a group, without someone leading the group. I think you had a lot of people with a lot of different ideas that was going a lot of different directions, and it showed really hard like throughout this entire thing the problem is one of the main problems is all four of them well three Ringo was just chill they're all super they're like passive aggressive on steroids and like it did not nothing ever got done because nobody Paul would eventually crack and become more aggressive <laughs> like they were so Pap took the Beatles class is this a I think they hinted this quite a bit in the movie which I appreciated but isn't this the whole like Brian Epstein death fallout a little yeah. bit like, losing the manager yeah, yeah. so brian epstein yeah. um he was a pretty young man he was 32 when he passed away um but he was really the i think paul mccartney says this in this documentary sort of the father figure of the beatles right and he um when he died he left a huge vacuum in terms of that leadership you know he was the one who like told them to wear suits and he was the one who had them get their haircut a little bit. I think he picked them up right after they came back from Hamburg when they were tearing up <clears throat> in Liverpool. And like, really that was like almost like I had this professor Glenn glass or gas. I forget his last name, but he was the one who taught the Beatles class. He was really cool. But his whole sort sort of central thesis of the class was like, that is the domino that led to the Beatles breaking up because he was kind of that central glue keeping everything together so like you have that in the background and then stevie the documentary talks on this a lot but what did you think about the sort of flashback footage of the beatles trip 
to India. I think that was a real, like, kind of a, um, oh, a spark, you could say, kind of a, um, what do you say, kind of the beginning of them being, I mean, they might have been passive-aggressive with each other before this, but I think that really kind of distanced John, um, George from the band personally, because I, th- I think oh, yeah. he was taking that trip very seriously, which is kind of become in touch with your inner self. Dude, yes. He was getting, he, he you could tell he was not a fan of the comments they were making about that trip. No, and I think that, I think that was kind of the start of George being like, who are these guys? You know what I mean? Like, these are supposed yeah. to be my friends. And, you know, you can tell in that trip that George and, um, not George, um, John and Paul really made kind of a joke out of it. That's the way it came across to me, at least. And, you know, George is trying to <laughs> make these comments like, you know, you can't force someone to have like that kind of awakening. No, but he was also making comments like, you know, if I forget the exact words he said, but pretty much he said, you guys are being assholes in India. Like, you know, you're pretending to be someone else that you weren't and you didn't come back anything different than what you were. And I think that really hurt George's feelings moving forward when it came to those two. George, I mean, George liked, correct me if I'm wrong, he was more of a blues guy, right? Like, he was going away musically from them, wasn't he not? Yeah. Didn't he go more of in a blues direction in the 70s? Well, yeah, and then he's... Bluesy, bluesy. And he's got, like, during the Beatles, he's got all of his, like, sitar kind of out there songs, right, that sound way different than the rest of the Beatles yeah. music. And he's got this huge backlog. You know, he's been ra- watching two of the greatest rock and roll songwriters of all time, John Lennon and Paul McCartney write songs and he's playing songs that will later come out on his like first solo album. Yeah. All things must pass in this. Yeah. What he's way back in the let it be time. So like, he's got this huge backlog. He even mentions that, you know, at one point, what I don't, what I don't like about George is two things. He can <laughs> never get the chip off of his shoulder. Very insecure. That, like definitely he didn't start the band. I'm sorry. You didn't. They're giving you a couple songs, an album, like, they're not being completely unreasonable. I think he just couldn't get comfortable. And he's always portrayed as like the quiet one and he's so chill. Yeah. But like he's not. He's bitching all <laughs> of the time. Guess Eric Clapton was right. Second of all, his choice in like company, it's well documented on this oh pod. God, I'm not a fan of Eric Clapton. And his whole thing with India, with Maharishi, he's like that dude is accused of child molestation. He Mia Farrow on that trip said he did like weird stuff to her like I just George thinks he's so righteous and like great judge of character all the time and he's just not sorry for piling on him but no I'm with you I thought you were like a big I mean again I I actually like I mean I like them all musically and everything like that but yeah he he didn't come off very well to me like I literally told Brittany at the beginning that yeah, George is the nice one. He's apparently the sweetest guy, and like he was like probably the biggest douche of the, just because, yeah, he sat there and kind of pouted the whole time, and like when his songs didn't get, like I actually love I Me Mine, so but like when he wasn't getting the attention he thought he deserved, or like I don't know, he he just pouted, and then he literally just walked out. So I thought John was actually really gentle. He's like. <laughs> He's almost like reminding him, like, hey, man, remember that meeting we have where we're going to really focus on, like, grungy rock for this? Like, we don't want to do Walt stuff. And he gives him, like, a pat on the head in private. I didn't – did that come off as patronizing to you guys? Because I no. think that 
the way I, you're I, saying it does a little bit, but I don't I don't remember feeling that way. I know what you mean. I thought it was actually like sweet, but then George is like, Well, I don't give a fuck or something. All the girls come out there dancing. Harrison Fisher live rock and roll band it off. Well, I'll get on the battle organ. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't care if you don't want it. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> It's going to be musical. George, have you any idea what we're playing? <laughs> <laughs> to me, it was L- very literally. telling when George uh, wants to tell someone that he wants to sort of do his own thing. He goes to John Lennon by himself. Yeah. Right? Like, it's just the two of them. Paul is not in the room. And that speaks volumes, right? Because that was probably a very big moment for him. You know what I mean? It'd be like... Stevie coming to me and be like, "Hey, I want to start a podcast." Uh, on my even own. still, he only half committed to it. Like he was like, "Oh, I mean, yeah, this is what I want to do. I could give the songs to other people. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like he's might not like he, he might not have a, a backbone when it comes to. I mean, he left for three days instead of like talking through it. But mm-hmm. and it wasn't even like it was the fourteenth day. It was like the third day or or fifth day or something. I don't know. They all seem to hate that twicking. Ham, so that was a tense. Yeah. Uh, that was a tense area when they were rehearsing at Twickingham. It seemed yeah. like very eggshells the entire time the they were there. You'll vary, and like for context reasons, I think deep down, like if you're going to be as great as Paul was, I think he's a very competitive human, and also just competitive musician. Everything. And I don't think it helped that the Jimi Hendrix ex- experience came out a year before they started doing this. And I think Paul, in deep down, probably looked at that going, I need a guitarist like that, and I don't have one. And I think he looked at George a lot going, you know, you haven't improved to what I think you could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he even gave John two of the three solos and get back. Yeah. So. so three quick things, too. In, in defense of George, he is significantly younger than the rest of the Beatles. Actually, you know what? Him and Paul were both... 25, 26 during this. Uh, yeah, is that like, true? They're all within like two and a half, three years, aren't they? Hold on. I looked it up. I think, Look up I their think birthdays right now. Let's do John this and John's the oldest. What year was he born? John and Ringo are 28, and George literally just turned 26, and <coughs> Paul was 26, I think. Hold on. Just look up their year of birth. Let's just go. What year was John Lennon born? June, June 42 for Paul McCartney. Okay. Elvis was 34. <laughs> That's not helpful. June, June 42, what'd I say? It's in 42 the 42 for Paul. Sorry, I have Linda McCartney on here for some reason. John Lennon was born in Sorry, I blew 1940. This I would say this, though. It's like everyone else's spouses are showing up to the studio, right? For better or worse, we'll get into Yoko here in a little bit. But John is in a very committed, loving relationship. Paul is in a very committed, loving relationship with children. Ringo's wife is there vibing. Like Patty Boyd, who later cucks him for... Eric Clapton Ooh. is like barely there the whole time. You know, I, I feel like it may be, you know, his life wasn't exactly straight. So just a quick defense there. But I want to sort of dig into the individual characters before we talk about the places. Um, kind of go person by person. Josh, you've always idolized John Lennon. True. Forget about Candy Camera. Not necessarily, no. (laughs) (laughs) 
why don't you tell what? How would you describe John Lennon during this period? Because you know, tell us why John Lennon's better than Jesus Christ, John. Just, Josh. Yeah, and like I had a really hard time getting into this or starting this documentary because this is like the low point of the Beatles' relationship, right? It's like watching a. Uh, your favorite couple during like the worst two months of their marriage or something. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's kind of rough to, to yeah. watch sometimes, but with John think, Lennon, the leader of the, Beatles. I think part of what get back does is prove that it wasn't really all negative. Like we've been getting down on George a lot, but the guys do seem to have a lot of fun in the studio, Agreed. but starting at Twickenham, it really seems like John, I heard this from a different source too. He might have been like stoned on heroin for like that first week. At yeah. Twickenham. I want you so bad, which they perform, I think in Apple studios, like conceptually, which ends up on Abbey road. It's about heroin withdrawals. He is, he is not right during this time. They, they said like, uh, 1968 was just a crazy bad year for him. He like got divorced. Uh, Yoko Ono had a miscarriage. His son was, uh, they weren't speaking to each other and he was dealing with, he had gotten arrested for drugs and he was dealing with the heroin addiction. I think there's a sense that all the other Beatles are walking on eggshells around him too. Like he might be the most vulnerable emotionally and just maybe he's the most apt to just like say it up and fuck it and walk out, you know, but he didn't though. Like he was so much more chill than I thought he was going to be. No, but I, I think at the beginning, that first week, everyone is kind of like easing in with him, easing in. True. There's a couple really cool conversations, and Paul's like, hey, Mr. Lennon, have you written any new songs that we could use? <laughs> yeah, there was a couple little but like shots they took of each other. Even through Len- Lennon's, I don't want to like make up what he was doing, but some people say heroin, but whatever it was, drug haze. He still like cut through that and was like, "Hey, we are able to make songs. We have a couple weeks to do this, and we will be fine." And gives him like a hug. And I will say too, I will. I think the premise of this, Pappy, is like a little false. I think Peter Jackson sets it up to make it seem like, for the first time, the Beatles only have this much time to make music, and it's really stressing them out. But I think if you look back at their career they were constantly doing this. They right. would book like two weeks studio time and cut revolver in that period of time and stay up all night and stuff. And so there really was a sense, like I know Paul says this to exhaustion in the movie, but like we're best when our backs against the walls, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I think John is like the part of them that is like, yes, the quiet, confident part. If that's not even just drug induced partially. Yeah. You, you got to remember the Beatles, played Ed Sullivan in November 1963 or December 1963, and they break up in 1970. So that whole catalog, everything the Beatles ever did came out in like a very condensed period of seven years. It's insane. It's insane. Yeah. No one ever did more in less time, like not even close. I do feel like uh, John Lennon could have been a little bit more vocal and that would have helped a lot of these issues. And I do think kind of like the Yoko thing's a little bit overblown. We'll talk about that in a second. Brett, can you tell us about our passive aggressive king, Paul? <laughs> I, I don't want to say it because I really just hear myself as being the only one saying it. Oh, it's, and I can see if you just sit there like, well, he's saying that one again, is he? And I don't get any support or anything. 
So I'm just saying, oh, well, fuck it. So I... Real quick, what, touched, sorry, good tangent question. Why have you soured on Paul? What what caused that? I don't think I soured on Paul. I just... Um, Paul soured on him. <laughs> no, it, it was. it's all just musically. I, I just... Like, I don't really like Wings that much. <laughs> but, like, I really liked Paul McCartney and Linda McCartney, uh, their album Ram. Ram's a great and, album. Like, when you put that up against the Plastic Ono Band, I think it's a lot better, and I know nobody else thinks that, but um, I don't know if I've soured on them. I, I I just have come to like John's voice a little more lately, but, I mean, to me, this documentary just uh, showed <clears throat> Paul's just like an absolute virtuoso. I think they all, they all showed a lot of that, and I, I hopefully we get to the like the five minute scene where he's coming up with get back on the spot was like ma- like documentary magic to me. Like I thought it was unbelievable. It was one of the coolest things I've ever witnessed. Like him just uh, he's humming through it. I mean, it's just, but anyway, um, dude, the, the way that George and Ringo just like sit there looking at him like two alley cats on a fence <laughs> post or something. <laughs> so great. Um, also, I, I thought it looked like George started almost crying when we heard Let It Be for the first time. But um, maybe not. So back to, I guess, your original question. I think we kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier uh, with the Epstein guy when he died. Like, I just felt, and Paul McCartney said it a few times, that none of them had any structure. I mean, like, didn't it get, like, it was almost annoying to me. Like, they literally could never be there on time. Mm. and they're so up against it but they'd always be late and Paul was like the only one that tried to get some structure to them I mean I just feel like he had to I think creatively a big problem with the dynamic that we see is that George and to to a lesser extent Ringo but not not too badly are, are just very much saying no to a lot of ideas out of hand, right? And Paul's like, okay, well, what what's your idea mm-hmm. then? But they're not comfortable because of how domineering Paul is to bring those ideas forward, right? Like Ringo's like, I'm not leaving the country, and George doesn't want to play on the rooftop. And Paul's like, okay, well, what are you gonna <laughs> what are you gonna do then, right? Stevie, I know you're not the, the biggest fan of Paul McCartney. Why did he rub you the wrong way during this? He didn't rub me the wrong way. I mean, I just think. I think Paul is a guy that works great with other Pauls and has a really, really hard time like musically looking at other people that aren't as talented or as gifted as him when it comes to songwriting and ideas and knowing like what they're supposed to do. And I feel like a lot of the time he feels that he has to kind of spoon feed along George and Ringo. Like, okay, you should be doing this. Do it. I mean, there are a few times where he gives Ringo or George a look where it could just cut glass when they're rehearsing. And it just makes me laugh so hard. But I think a lot of it comes from he was stressed because they're trying to get this shit done. They have no structure. And he has to, you know, lesser extent, kind of deal with John and what's going on with him. And I just feel like all of that combined turned him into a giant ass on this documentary. One thing that's not covered in this documentary that the my professor also like really stressed as a catalyst of the Beatles breaking up is that 
Linda McCartney's dad kind of took over control of Apple Corp, which was not necessarily agreed to. And so then that we have this family who's kind of double dipping on the money, right? And that, that apparently rubbed all the other Beatles the wrong way. And you, and you can hear how like involved Apple is. You know, they, they talk about James Taylor, mm-hmm. who's the first artist they signed. They're talking about all these other films and like catalogs that they've bought. And, and you can see like that would be a very big point of contention. So the real, the real savvy Beatles historians will really pick apart these couple scenes where they mention Alan Klein. He was the manager for the Rolling Stones. Yeah. And basically, like, as I understood it, Linda's dad and him were like the two main candidates. And Paul wanted Linda's dad and everyone else is like thought this Alan Klein guy was really cool. Now, history has judged Alan Klein very poorly, I think. But you see like. Do you remember that, you guys, when they're talking about, Mm -hmm. oh, we're meeting him in the hotel tonight? But it's just John and Paul. Who meet us. Yes. The other two aren't invited. <laughs> and I think that, yeah. Are you sure Ringo's not there? No? I don't think he is. I think it's just John and Paul who go. Because then John is like downloading how awesome he is to the other two. <laughs> he's like, he's just, he knew everything about us. He, he knew everything. He really got us, man. And they're like, oh, okay. Thanks for the invite, bro. Oh. We talked about George quite a bit. The only other note I have on George is. His Hare Krishna friends are really throwing off the vibe in Twickenham. Oh I wish they weren't there. Why were they there? Did he roll like that? We're just like he must yes. have. So he had them like with him like at all times wherever he went. I think. I mean, like you know, people bring their friends in, people bring their wives in. I think it was kind of like one of those things where it's like any of the four has a pass to invite anybody. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But he kind of, you know. Who would you rather hang out with, Stevie? Yoko Ono or those Hare Krishna guys? Oh, my God. Neither. Man. You have to pick. Hare Krishna. (laughs) Yoko did some pretty shitty things later in life post John's death. Um, At that moment, (laughs) oh, probably the Hare Krishna guys, just to see what what George's uh, headspace was, see where he was at. (laughs) <laughs> Still kind of psychedelic sound. Yeah, just kind of get on George's level. See where he was at in the middle of all this. They might give you some flowers. <laughs> you never know. Baby. Stevie, your boy, Ringo Starr. My boy. He, he's just plugging along here, right? He's just. He doesn't give a shit. Riding the way. He's either drunk or hungover the he's, whole time, and he, but he's still. He cool shows up every on time. time. He tightens his drums. He gets his coffee, cigarette in mouth, plays on a, you know. Um, plays on a 32 beat and then he just goes. I mean, why not? Oh, hey, over under 3,000 cigs smoked on camera for Ringo <laughs> over 3,000. No, the whole the whole. Oh, thing. I would say Ringo alone over 3,000. But <laughs> when did he ask for drugs, Brett? I did not catch that. He it's uh, uh he's over in the. It's very early on. He asks if anyone has any uppers. <laughs> Uh, yes, Mal. He's like, I'm feeling guy. a little. Um, yeah, he. I stayed up late watching TV. I mean, yeah, he says uh, uppers like greenies or, or something like that. I, I don't know. I'm okay. I think he's asking for speed or something. Yeah, that's what the MLB guys used to, just, used to take was greenies. I think Stevie, you mentioned this a little bit ago, and maybe I'll just disagree. But I thought Ringo. Maybe Pap said it. I thought Ringo took Paul's direction really well when he could have been. I do too. Kind of. I, oh yeah, I, I disagree with you there too. But 
he did not come across like a Pimanani. He's just like, well, okay, I'll play it he that way. He did have weird looks, though. Like, maybe maybe the underlying thing is... Uh, uh, but he was such a team player. I don't know. Uh, I, I kind of I, I kind of in, in between both you guys. Did I say Ringo like, was a prima donna? Yeah, no, you said him and George didn't take direction from Paul. No, well. I said Paul or, looking looking at them like he wanted to like kill him. That's all I said. I think it was maybe Pappy said that actually. No, I didn't yeah, say that. Been. But it was that I think Stevie said that like when George is writing um, Octopus's Garden, he's doing it outside of the presence of Paul McCartney. Yeah, right. Like, and then even John Lennon comes in. They're like vibing together. Mm-hmm. It's like the kind most of like, fun they have is when Paul goes to some meeting, and it's those three. just those three. Yeah, yes, they have so much fun. I love that scene. Kind, kind of Paul, telling. Do you think Paul was helpful, Josh, or do you think he was hurtful overall at this point? Like, I think they're still making this album if it weren't for Paul. Yeah, I think you got to say helpful, and then he kind of goes too far. And then there's like a backlash and then he's like, but yeah, I mean the songwriting alone and the effortlessness that he's able to like start singing harmonies for some reason. Like, how do you even do that? I don't understand. Like while playing an instrument, it's insane, but see, we can get it simpler and then complicate it where it needs complications. But it's complicated it's in the bit. I mean, I'll play just the chords if you like. No, no. Oh, you always come on. I'm worried when I say that. I'm, I'm trying to help you know. But I always hear myself like, annoying you. And I'm trying to. No, you're not I, annoying. I get so I can't you don't annoy me. But you know what I mean? Well, you know, we do this then, and we. And then, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I can't do it on film either. You can't freaking do it on camera. Yeah. Do you think he's holding them back in a way, Pappy? Because I think at the beginning they needed some sort of kick in the pants and he knows he's annoying, but he just keeps going with it for a while or something. But I thought he backed off a lot towards the end personally, but maybe, I don't know. They all got so much more comfortable when they were in the Apple studio. But mm-hmm. One of um, the best scenes of the movie is the like hidden taped conversation between Yeah, John that's really good. And Paul, what do you remember about that, Brett? Well, they're trying to figure out uh, – it's kind of what somebody mentioned earlier. Like John had maybe a better – dealt with George maybe a little better than Paul, especially in this situation. And he was like, this is how you need to talk to him. And Paul got it, but like like we mentioned, Paul also knew they were up against it. And like he didn't want to be like that, but he felt like he had to be. And John was like, I get it. We understand. But he was just mediating between – two people that hadn't really started mediating yet. I don't know. It was pretty, pretty brilliant. Uh, and he got them on the same page. I love power, like the power structure psychology of it. I think it's fascinating here, you guys, because mm-hmm. Beatles fans and just anyone who's into pop culture has always talked about like, who's the leader of the group? Well, it was John for a while. Then it was Paul, but when did it switch or did it ever really switch? And here we have like a hidden conversation between John and Paul where they're confused about who the quote boss is. And it's just really, I don't know this too, along with that get back scene, Brett is under that category of like documentary magic. Yeah. Magic. Awesome. Yeah. You're right. To be together. The pestering wound. Yeah. Because allowed to. And yesterday we allowed it to go even deeper. But we didn't give him any. 
And when he is that far, then we have egos. So that's what I was trying to say to George. You know, where else previously I would have said, take it there with diddly 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 dead. But I was trying last week to say, then take it there. What I thought was crazy, that whole conversation takes place while George Harrison has left the group. They yeah. seem willing to bring in Eric Clapton as a ringer, right? Like they're they're not going to abandon the Beatles project if George is gone, gone, you know. But the same couldn't be said by about either one of them, right? Like when Paul McCartney leaves or John Lennon leaves, that's the end of the Beatles. But for sure, Ringo, George, relatively interchangeable pieces. They do bring in a keyboardist, Billy Preston, who Ooh, I love. He's wee. so charming. Josh, how complicated life too. How great is Billy Preston? He appears in the studios with them as if, like, man, like Jesus appearing (laughs) to like the apostles or something. Talk about the luckiest stop by ever. Like he literally just stopped by to say hello and ends up being on, you know, their. This whole thing is just crazy. I love he's the so, way John uh, Lennon doles out the information that he's going to be on the album. You know, he's like, so, <laughs> you know, if you wanted to, you could be on the album. Like, because the gravity, you're going to be on a Beatles album. That, like, Billy Preston's going to remember that day for the rest of his life. Yeah. Then a few days later, they're like, we didn't even ask you if you wanted to be. <laughs> like, he's like, oh, yeah, man. He goes, what do you say? It's a vibe. Mm-hmm. Sorry, it's Josh. Vibe. Go ahead. You were talking about him. No, you guys are just saying all the right stuff. He's just. God, First of all, so, his so his wor- smiling. his work on the organ is insane. I heard a quote from Ringo where he said he never heard him play a wrong note, which is crazy thinking about all these long sessions they all did. And I think he's like really relatable. He's the Beatles are insanely young for how we think of them, but he's like twenty three or something in this twenty two maybe. And Jeez, how old was he when you, they were in Hamburg? He must have been a teenager then, like sixteen, yeah, fifteen. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah. yeah, dude. So he was like some prodigy kid. And the way he is like smiling and having fun. But I think if you look closely, you can see this like nervousness of like, oh, yeah, we're talking we're talking about like generational money here. And it's fun. But man, like this is something I'm going to be telling my grandkids about sort of. Thing. It's like it's when you're at a happy hour with the CEO and he tells a joke and you laugh real hard and smile real big. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, you're like whatever you guys say is going to be cool. But, I don't but like, the joke is good too, but the joke was good. Right. Yeah. I don't want to like bring it down, but I mean, I don't know how much you looked into. He's had a, he had a complicated, a really sad life and his 1990s were pretty bad. Like tell us I all feel about like it. We Brett. might get, no. Okay, so know. first of all, he was very religious. He grew up very religious, but he was a closeted homosexual. Um, Interesting. Because, you know, he didn't, A, the time, and B, the religion. Um, but he was always really professional. He worked with people, even though um, he was re- religious and stuff like that. Um, some people knew, but... Uh, did John Lennon know? Because, like, that's always the thing. Is like, I uh, don't think... You got I, a I hydro level ways about Brian Epstein, but maybe it was about... Uh, Keith Richards knew. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I really don't know. Probably at that point, nobody knew, but man, this is going to be bad. I don't, I don't almost don't want to even tell you guys. You've gone too far. You have to know. Okay. It can't be worse than that cat story (laughs) from the mouse hunt. (laughs) Cat story. Did I say something? Oh, no. No, Listen to that podcast. It's horrific. Okay. Uh, while on probation for drunk driving conviction, 
in August 1991. Guys, there's no going back after reading this next sentence. Go ahead. Okay. Preston was arrested for sexually assaulting a 16-year-old Mexican boy after picking him up at a gathering point for day laborers. They took him to his house. They smoked cocaine. He showed him pornos and then tried to assault him before he escaped. Every number's got a piano part or a... Yeah. And normally we overdub it, you know. Uh-huh. But this time we want to do it live. Yeah. I mean, just live to ourselves. Yeah. Straight off, one number after the other. Yeah. And that means having somebody in on, on scene. Yeah. So if you'd like to do that, you're welcome. Sure. Beautiful. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then you'd be on the album. You get it? <laughs> well, that's good, then. <laughs> we taped a few. The thing is to get some tapes made of what we'd done. And let him have a listen. He probably him just pick him up much quicker hearing us. Yeah, just rehearsing. Have you met Billy George? How do you do, Billy? That's Bill Martin, our A&R man. That's Billy. We played with him in Hamburg. He was back in Little Richard. You can hear him in Hamburg, yes. In the old days. Complicated life. Well, yeah, no, and I, I, I'm not making excuses for him, but man, I, I can't imagine what his psyche. Like his, he's also sexually, he was sexually abused as a kid. Um, just, it's amazing how even killed and amazing he is in, in this documentary, knowing that he had probably had some demons. Well, so what do you guys only... think about Yoko Malin Glenn? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Just trying to change, change the subject, subject. real <laughs> quick. No, I loved, I loved Mal. Oh my God, I love Mal. Okay, real quick about Billy Preston. Sorry, just joking, Pat. Still. Like, it probably was like, I mean, they literally talked about bringing him into the band full time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Josh is talking about generational money. That would, I mean, that's beyond that. You know what I mean? Paul McCartney is a billionaire, right? Like, if he could have had residuals and writing credits on like four or five more albums. And that's what's kind of like sad to me, Stevie, is like, they talk, like, I think John Lennon and George are brainstorming about this and like we could be the Beatles and company mm-hmm. and the Grateful Dead and company or something like wouldn't that have been a great era of the Beatles if they brought in like you know a female singer from Motown or like a new guitarist or Billy Preston like there's so many like ways the band could have gone if they would have brought in Billy I mean I think they could have pumped out some amazing amazing records um, just because what he's doing on this album is really hard especially like on electric keyboard electric piano like Rhythm backing and rhythm filling is really, really hard to sit there and listen to lyrics and listen to other instruments be played and having to kind of fill that, you know, kind of bridge in between the lyrics and, you know, the instruments is really, really hard. And he was... It's really like, hey, we thought of this whole song. We thought of everything, but... You're going to add to more? it. <laughs> and there's nothing more evident than that when he's playing on um, Don't Let Me Down. Like, the rhythm backing on that is incredible. Uh, so I think if he'd have been in the band, you know, for, you know, if let's say Billy Preston helps them get, you know, through three more albums, I think they could have pumped out some amazing songs with him. He's so great. And like the, he changes the whole sound of yes. the band. And I love watching way. John Lennon light his cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> it's so simple, but it was so cool. <laughs> and that whole time they're just jamming together, right? You know, they're just having a fun time. Mm-hmm rocking out, making music. He changed the sound of the band. 
Yoko Ono changes the sound of the band when she's in studio. Stevie, what are your thoughts on Yoko Ono in general? <sighs> like you said, kind of an asshole, not a good person. Post Beatles did some fucked up things to John Lennon's children with Cynthia. Yes. Um, I think you probably have to look at it the same way that Paul did, which is, you know, <clears throat> do I love her here? No, but if she's not here, I also don't have like, you know, my my best friend essentially with me trying to like make this album. So I think it's kind of one of those things where <clears throat> if you want John, which at the time, I think his song, which was going to be on the album, which wasn't, is the best out of what they created. Uh, she had to be there. But I don't. What song? Uh, don't let me down. Um, but I don't think that you could look at it and say she's the reason the Peels broke up. Um, <laughs> I just think she's trying to be supportive of her husband and give the input she thought was right. John. Stop that. John. We could get I Continue Turner over. Instead of George. John. John. I'm afraid John. he's not in. John! Okay. John! Couple things. John! This is the thing on this Guardian thing that I, I don't like exactly, but it's one of them is the world owes Yoko Ono an apology. First of all, we can't make, like, you, you kind of just said it right there, Stevie. She didn't break up the Beatles. Well, we can't know that from a 21-day documentary. I'm not saying she did or didn't, but this whole thing's Yoko didn't break up the Beatles. Blaming it on her is absurd. It's racist. It's misogynistic. I mean, and they, they point to the fact that other people, significant others are coming in and out. But coming in and out is one thing. She was always there. Yeah. And we didn't get to see the part where they went to George the first thing. They they said that she was talking for him. I mean, again, I'm not, she was kind of, she didn't do anything wrong in this thing at all. I mean, but like, I wonder, Brittany and I were kind of opining about it, like, was she there to exert control over him? Was she there because she didn't have anything better to do? Was she there because she genuinely? I, I, just, I, I think know. I, I think mean, John wanted her there essentially. There. I do too, but he did. Uh, I mean, do you think? I mean, twenty four seven. I think he wanted her there. I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm with you, and she's significantly older than him. So, uh, I'm just saying we we don't know what happened the next eleven months, right? Um, she could have just wormed her way in and, and again, the, you know, Paul did say she's great. She really is. All right. Well, two things um, about her. It's like John, you know, if your friend dates a horrible partner, right. To some extent, the person just is who they are. You know what I mean? You, you have to look at your friend who is your friend and be like, why are you with this person? You know what I've I mean? Known a few, I've known a few of them. You don't, you don't go to the partner and be like, you got to change your life. You're like, hey, you're my friend. Why are you with this person? At the same time, Yoko Ono also does know that the cameras are there, right? Mm-hmm. And she's also literally a producer on Let It Be, on this documentary. So she has some sort of creative control on what went in and what yes, didn't yeah. go in. But it's not. it's literally not her fault the Beatles broke up. Like there's a whole other other like load of like money, like no no relationship between four people ends over one thing. Was she like part of the reason? Certainly, I don't think she edited anything in or out of this movie though. From I everything I don't I've think heard. we I I don't believe that. 
sorry. I mean, it's it's like the same thing with the Michael Jordan and the Gip or Last Dance. It's like I can't trust a documentary where the subject is one of the people who has creative control. Like, like maybe she didn't, but maybe Paul did because they clearly get along to some can, level. Can we all agree that she, the fact that she's worth seven hundred million dollars, is like really annoying? I think that's what no. John Lennon would have wanted. Yeah, I guess. Isn't that what you what you're right as a creator who owns? I'm not IP? saying she d- doesn't that it she it shouldn't be. I said it's annoying. Of she, course, sure it's, that's a legal thing. An interview. She gets where every Peter... royalty he's ever written. I I get it. I just I yeah. Just I don't care like how her. much money she has. That doesn't bother me at all. But I heard a thing with Peter Jackson where he was like, he maybe he didn't say Yoko, but for sure he sent it to Ringo and Paul and they said no edits. So I think maybe you're right in that they could have had that control. So that is like kind of looming there as a presence. I just don't like but, the precedent. You know what I mean? Like we're seeing all of these documentaries where the subjects are producers or executive producers. And it's like, I can't trust anything it's in like this. Brian may, you didn't, you didn't like Bohemian Rhapsody because Brian may, like they had creative control over it and everything. I mean, it's a little different because it's a documentary. But there's an epidemic of this happening with thirty for thirty. He gets to mold the narrative. Yeah, I can't. I can't stand it. It's it's worth nothing to me. I mean, like other than it's like this is this person's, this is the story. Keep in mind, this person could edit the whole way it's being presented. You know. Yeah, I'm with you. Josh, how do you feel about Mal <laughs> getting off Yoko Ono? <laughs> Uh, I think Ma- this is another thing that mega Beatle fans love seeing this guy. I fami- I'm not that familiar with him and his relationship to them. Um, I think you see in this movie that Mal, what's his last name? I feel like totally Evans? disrespectful right now. I think Evans. Evans. Yep. Yeah. Mal Evans is just like the Beatles friend. And I think he works as like, you know, he helps in the studio, does whatever. Oh, he's their road manager, technically. Road here. manager, yep. But realistically, he's like going to get them tea when they need it. He's the one hitting the anvil in the song Maxwell yeah. Silverhammer. <laughs> Seems like he like really gravitates towards the anvil as a whole. But he just, he's their friend, but he's also kind of like their little bitch, Pat. <laughs> Beloved. He's, char- he's charming. Beloved Beatles person, Stevie, but I think the Let It Be documentary has an interesting insight into what it's like to be a peripheral person to like a center of gravity like the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Do you think you would do well in that position? Like, could would you be willing to kiss ass of a very, very famous rich person in order to get ahead? Or would you want to make your own path? Um, well... Essentially, if you're like an outsider, which is, you know, it always makes, it doesn't upset me, but it always makes me sad when like, you know, an unknown actor, you're like, oh, I like them a lot. It's like, you know, they're the producer's kid or the director's kid or famous, you know, person's, you know, son or daughter. It's like, oh, it kind of takes away. But as like an outsider, which is, you know, someone just from Indiana, if I got the opportunity to work for somebody extremely powerful, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Even if I had to kiss ass, as I know, it might open the door to like another thing where I can make my own art. And you'd bring them down from the inside. I mean, essentially, yeah. <laughs> Distract the cops while they're raiding the rooftop concert. Exactly. I mean, I think you kind of have to do that. If 
it's unfortunate that's the way it works, but unless someone's being downright abusive, I can deal with someone being an being an asshole. Last but certainly least, the character that I want to talk about from the documentary was Glenn. <laughs> Glenn, I think. Uh, certainly least, dude. Brett, does he does he not come across as a dumbass throughout this whole documentary? Who's controlling the PA? Hello. And this one is not. Is that one is not, Glenn? I mean, I, he's only coming in when the Beatles are like getting pissed at him for, for messing things up or whatever. Yeah, I guess I, I. Yeah, I guess I. I, and then I mean, I guess knowing what I know now that, like his, two mixes that he made for the album were both like hated by them and they didn't. Unless Josh can say that that's not correct. I don't. That's what I read. That they rejected. Well, they hired Phil Spector to do it. So. Yeah, and he did exactly the opposite of what Paul McCartney wanted to do. But Phil Spector's a monster, so <laughs> talented, genius, monster, murderer, kidnapper, murderer. Yes, he's a he's a piece of garbage. But Paul and hey, that wall of sound. I know Pappy loves the wall of sound. I do, and I'm a big fan of Ronnie Ronette. Spectre. All time number one crush. As well. But yeah. if you're gonna talk about characters, and I know Glenn is like the last one listed here, but can we add just tea and toast to the characters that show toast up? Toast and marmalade. Oh my god. <laughs> George eats like forty eight pieces of toast. <laughs> They're drinking tea. One point John's like, We drink gallons of it, mate. <laughs> Stevie, what's a typical diet of a beetle during Let It Be? During Let It How Be. How many cigarettes are for breakfast? I mean, you're talking endless packs of cigs. You got to have gallons of coffee just on hand for Ringo alone. Siggies and coffee. I mean, George looks tired throughout this entire thing. Like, especially when they get to um, the Apple studio, George looks exhausted. I don't know if he was running on, like, very, very little sleep. But, you know, George may be the youngest, but he looks the oldest in a lot of these shots. Um, mm-hmm. also to- <laughs> toast tea and marmalade. <laughs> I do like that a lot. Got the marmalade. But, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it, I think 90% of their diet truly was coffee and cigarettes and whatever John was taking on the side. Yeah. Coffee, cigarettes, and heroin. Yeah. Breakfast what? of champions. <laughs> and uppers. All right. Liverpoolian accents. I thought going in, it was definitely number one was... Ringo, but I think George by far has the most Liverpoolian accent, and then probably John, and then Ringo, and what, then the Scouse yeah. accent. Just yeah, the the Scouse. The, you can't understand a word they're saying. Yeah. I'm terribly sorry, but there seems to be some sort of misunderstanding. It's like we tried, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> you know, I always thought Ringo was the ugly one, but it's George. George, Dude, it's George. George, thank. I was gonna get. I was gonna get into that. Like my my hierarchy for that was definitely Ringo, John. George Paul and that God seeing this thing is George is definitely the ugliest he, one. He's so tired. Something about seeing Ringo in like live action, he's like just cool, you know. Mm-hmm. Makes him yeah. more attractive. He's got, he's got some nice like baby blue eyes. He got, I mean, he got kind of got some basset hound eyes. But Good personality. Yeah. <laughs> really, the cool mustache and the uh, sideburns really bring it all together. Yep. What didn't come together 
was Let It Be in a Twickenham studio. <laughs> Stevie, did, we, we've talked about this a lot. We've talked around it a lot, but it looks great, but the vibes are so off. It's here. it's nonstop eggshells. And, I mean, it may not have been that way in the time, but the way it comes across to me is Paul has just had it. It's almost like a parent talking to their children. Like, guys, you don't do the dishes. You don't pick up your room. You know, you're just not being responsible. And Paul just looks kind of at his wit's end when they're at Twickingham. And I mean, the only thing about that, though, is that uh, we don't want to go away. Think of the lights in the water. Torch lit. 2,000 arrows. The whole direction of the project is confused. You know what I mean? They're playing I didn't get, get it. back yeah. for a while. And they go to let it be, <laughs> and they do songs that come out later on George Harrison's first solo album, and then a like, lot of Abbey Road too. A lot honestly. of Abbey Road. It's like, what are you doing right now? <laughs> what is the goal? I here? feel like too when Paul is like getting like that, Stevie. It's like he's met with stone cold silence That's, from Ringo yes. and John. Yeah, and George is the only one that like kind of gets baited into engaging that and then that kind of goes sour <laughs> george george is like the only one that's like i'm gonna stand up to you bully and you're right it goes so south from there i love the part where it, and this is where i do like george as much as i shed on him earlier <laughs> but he's like that harmony you just had us sing paul was terrible everyone in this room knows it was terrible if you played it back you'd know it was terrible yeah and it was pretty bad it was so cheesy okay. Okay, we'll just repeat exactly what you said. One, two, three. I'm in love for the first time. Yes, I can't hear you. No, I think it's awful, actually. Well, we're going to improve if we, on that. If we had a tape recorder now and just tape down and play it back, you'd throw that out straight Yeah, right. Away. But No. <laughs> really? You'd yeah, throw it sure. out right? I mean, okay. Well, have you got anything? Okay, you've got to come on. Just come on, something better then. For a story, it'd be better to say... Instead of... Yeah, see, but in a way, that's even cornier, I think. That, that little harmony bit, it's just too pretty. Paul will throw down some ideas at Twickingham, being like, you know, I think we could do this and this, maybe hit it with a blues backer. And then George the entire time, like, no, we did that on this album. Well, we just did it on this song. You're recycling old ideas. And it just, <laughs> it feels like it's really just, Paul is just, you know, pulling teeth here. Being like, you, George is like, we already used yes. that note. He's like, oh, we already did this. Well, we played it in this key before. We're just doing this. And I feel like, George is not, as much as he may have thought he was, he's really not helping things. Everything in Twickenham feels extra stilted, too, right? Because at this part, they thought, at this point, they thought they were going to still have a TV show or whatever. So that I feel like every time they're on camera, they're very aware that they're on camera. But then they go to Apple Studio and Billy Preston shows up and Brett, all things are great. Again, like the, everything is just so different. Like vibe is such an overused word now, but you can fe- literally feel it change as soon as they. Billy get says it. It's a vibe. It's a vibe, man. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, another funny part. I thought uh, they were talking about what they'd worked on, and Paul's like, "Yeah, uh, get back's about the only one we were all digging <laughs> on." And John's like, uh, "I like dig a pony and uh, don't bring me down too." My two songs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because later on he said, 
uh, dig a pony, I believe his exact words were, is absolute trash. But he also, I believe, Josh Grebeckniev, I think he said that about a lot of his songs. Um, it's not trash. It's actually really difficult to play, too. It's he says a piece of garbage. He called it a piece of garbage. But he is so <laughs> trash, he can't even remember the words when he's on the rooftop concert. He's like, okay, you got to yeah, play his song. Yeah, that's clipboard. like the one song he couldn't, he couldn't remember how to do. That's I guess. Funny, but. Before we get out of Twickenham, one last comment. I thought my new wireless headphones were like syncing poorly, but like there's a lot of editing, like lip sync issues overall in this section. So much. There's so much hiding behind like back of heads when people are talking, especially in Twickenham. I don't know exactly what was going on with like technical stuff for Peter Jackson, but you can tell they tried. But I'm an editor, so like every time I could tell they were like trying to hide someone's mouth or Definitely. force. Sometimes words they didn't in. even try to hide it though. Like at some, and yeah. I, I forced myself not to watch that because that stuff bugs me. But at the same time, it's like I'm glad they used this stuff, even if they didn't have the right syncing. Because yeah. at one time when when John was like, "And no religion too," like it was like <laughs> it, it was makes like his voice was not synced up. To Pappy's point, though, it makes the entry into Apple Studios feel so much more like cathartic or something because I don't yeah. think they're doing that nearly as much, if at all, here. Mm-hmm. Stevie, how clean. much? Stevie, how much happier did the Beatles seem to you in Apple Studio? Like they actually smile. Like the the, the impromptu. It feels jamming happens way more. It almost feels like you know, even though they've been how long did they spend Twickingham two weeks together? I think so. And the two weeks in Twickenham, it feels like when they get to Apple, like they're re- reuniting for the first time after a long absence. It was really strange. It was um, almost like, you know, I think if they tried to do this entire thing in Twickenham, <laughs> I think if they'd have spent one more day in Twickenham, they would have broken up. I really do. <laughs> I think it, it got that ugly towards the end of it. Speaking of like how long they spend places, did you, Stevie? Did you like the whole calendar? Did not. I. Yeah. I mean, it felt like a like a not? Microsoft Office like PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, that's what it felt like to me. It felt like cheap editing to me. Um, I understand it if people like want to get, you know, a frame of reference or how much time they yeah, have. Visual yeah, visual yeah, reference. The but- timeline aspect helped. It just looked like shit. It didn't fit with. No, it was almost like the, the footage. placeholder he had when he was editing this to keep all the footage straight. <laughs> I mean, and then he's like, "You know what? Keep it." Calendar stuff like that to me is like, you know, and how in Indiana Jones, how they do the fast travel with Indiana Jones. Yeah, but that's yeah. cool. I understand that's cool for that movie, <laughs> but like to me, just because that calendar stuff almost feels like news in a superhero movie. I just hate it. So I would have rather have seen just writing, you know, just font on the screen saying January 13th, you know, 18 days to deadline. That to, that that helps me out a lot more than seeing a calendar. Josh, the dramatic conclusion, though, of Let It Be, the circle date on that calendar <laughs> is the rooftop concert. Take us through the rooftop concert. You've seen it before in Let It Be, and I'm sure you've YouTubed Beatles rooftop concert yeah. before. But we get some new v- views here. No one knew it was coming, right? You guys are all shocked that this ended on I, the rooftop. I imagine. I couldn't. I could not remember. <laughs> it's one of the iconic iconic images of the Beatles. I don't. Playing, 
Go ahead. Yes, Brett? No, I just, I, I like, I didn't know what was going to happen. Like, I swear I read that it was canceled, and I swear I read, like, I know what you're saying now, but, like, I think it almost made it better for me. I had no idea. Like, even when they got up there, I was like, are they going to play music, though? Whoa, but, you didn't know. No, I, I'm not a, I, I mean, I get it now. It sounds like I, I'm an idiot, uh, apparently, for not knowing that, but. No, Brett, you're smart. Thanks. There's a lot to go into with the rooftop concert, but I think how we started off is two of the Beatles, Paul out of nowhere, all of a sudden doesn't want to do an idea and George, cause he's just a sourpuss all the time. They don't want to go on the roof, but Ringo and John are like, I'll, I'll play on the damn roof. Let's do it. Let's go up there. Check it out. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. So they go in like a downstairs secret Beatles only meeting and there's no hidden microphones down there this time. And so we don't, know exactly what goes on but i think kind of the next scene is them kind of tiptoeing out onto the roof you literally see paul mccartney like jumping terrifyingly on some two by fours checking their resistance or something <laughs> right Dragging yeah. somebody it's called span Whew, paul mccartney is already dead so this is the clone paul mccartney <laughs> 2.0 i think druid king pointed that out on our instagram but like i don't want to like take all all of the plot points here of the rooftop but i do think that was telling that ringo and john were like ready to perform and had the energy and after all of john's like passivity throughout this and timidness maybe or drug-induced haze he's like ready to get out there and do the thing and i i really like that and despite him messing up the vocals that one time like i think he's playing a lot of really complex guitar parts up there he has the solos and and it's cold like get back it's gotta be so hard he has that famous quote in between songs where he's like my hand's so cold can't play a chord (laughs) something like that thank you brothers my hand's getting uh, too cold but i'll pass it to you guys because i think what a lot of people see is like the new th- hook and thing here is that whole police hidden camera aspect of it. Did you guys like that? Yeah, it's good. Douchey. Stevie, are the complaints against the Beatles warranted or justified? Or are these people who have no sense of the moment of um, history where they could have yeah. listened to the last time the Beatles performed publicly and called the police on them? I mean, I didn't live during, you know, I don't know much about 60s Liverpool um, all that well. They were in Liverpool recording this, right, if I remember correctly? London. Okay, I don't know much about 60s London or just how staunch they were at the time, but I don't really understand why some people are calling the police on them. Like, if I hear music, I'm going to go out and look and be like, all right, they're jamming. It's like they were playing terrible music here. I mean, they were playing some absolute jams, but... 30 complaints in the last 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it kept getting shorter and shorter, too. All of a sudden, it was, we got 30 complaints within minutes. Yeah. I I mean, I don't really understand that. Like, just weird to me, but my favorite guy was that old guy in the interview, and they go, would you let your daughter date a Beatle? And he goes, well, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll be rich. 
Where they had money. <laughs> money. Yeah, he, his whole thing was funny. He's like, like he, yeah, he didn't have a problem with anything. And then they're like, yeah, you let your daughter yeah, in. Yeah, they have their own style. You know, the music sounds great. You know, it looks like they're having fun. People are having fun. Like, mm-hmm. that dude was cool. I don't really get the, get the complaints. One, that, one thing this documentary showed that the previous Let It Be movie and like the rooftop performances we've already seen don't. There's a couple times where you get a sense of how loud the music was on the street, and it's booming, man. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not like just something people are straining to hear. Like you can hear John Lennon in your face for a couple blocks. That poor old lady was sleeping at five o'clock. <laughs> I also didn't realize that they were trespassing on the building across the street to yeah. film. Like you're telling me that guy wouldn't take in a check for ten thousand quid or whatever. You're the Beatles. Just write him that and get permission to film up there. You know. Yeah, but then the landlord's like, I got to have the fire department check on the standard mm-hmm. codes, and then the police department have to be like, Well, we get a little bit of like security for that. It's it's a whole thing, Pat. Listen, you're I, the Beatles. I have no. a question for Josh. <laughs> Please. And I have a feeling that a lot of people are going to point this out. And I anti people pointing it out, but I don't also don't know. Okay. So I came up with a nickname for George Martin during this thing. And it was George R. Are you ever going to do anything, Martin? Boo. Um, bad take. Exa- okay. Okay. I, I, I loved everything about him. Um, he was always smiling. He facilitated things. He, he knew music. But he also, they didn't show him doing anything. And I wanted you to satiate, because he's famous. I know George Martin, but I like, how much of a producer was he? Was he like an executive producer for a movie where they take care of things behind the scenes? Or is he like a producer and music where you're, obviously wasn't mixing things, but tell me, I liked George Martin. I thought he was a very calming presence. And I want to like him even more. But I need to know what I saw or what I didn't see. He was called the fifth Beatle, man. I do wonder, though, if at this point in their career, if his role was a little bit, and especially for this album, maybe, his role was a little bit minimized. Because you think back on other songs where he's like, he overdubs his own piano solo over the top of something or speeds up the track kind of late or he in earlier albums was actually like picking the song order and i think it was just kind of natural like as the beatles went on in their career they were taking on more of those decisions okay because so he was he 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 was like a visionary guy like he he did have he did have a vision for george martin's literally the third most important beatle i would say okay i had always heard so many things about him but that's why i was surprised but josh that makes sense he's not that old like he looks like old but he's only like 37 38 like maybe early 40s by the time this is happening he looks so cool though he had a background in classical music and like so he facilitated all of the technological innovations of the people everything i wanted to hear you guys just said because i was again i mean i had never heard of mall or glenn but I mean, I know George Martin, so... Again, you have to remember, like, these people knew the cameras were there, right? And he's hyper-intelligent to the point where when he sees the hidden camera in the lobby, he's, like, giving it the eyebrow. You know what I mean? He's like, this is not fooling me. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta fight back on this a little bit. This is 1969. I don't think people are walking around really wary of, like, oh, wow, like, yeah, I'm on camera... 
or I'm on the street. I get it. These are the on the street interviews. I'm going to be on one. I, there aren't any on the street interviews prior to this like this. This is like uh, there are no hidden cameras to speak of. I mean, there are hidden knew. cameras, I'm sure, before this. Yeah. But like, okay, there's a difference, though. There's my maybe least one of my least favorite parts of the doc is when the police we mentioned, they finally weasel their way into the Apple studio. They finally weasel their way into the back of the office. Then they get to the top of the building and they're standing in that doorway. And there's some famous pictures of like two cops in a doorway. And I think Beatles fans have discussed like, what are the cops doing there? Were they fans? Well, no, they weren't fans. But anyway, the moment when Paul turns around and he sees the cop and he gets like super pumped because he's like, yeah, this is like the controversy I wanted. And I know we're on camera. Like, mm-hmm. I hate that shit. But George Martin looking at a camera being like, that's weird looking. It's like on a whole different like ne- like level that I don't think rises to what you're saying. I don't think Yoko is thinking like Kanye, like her brand while she's sitting there and their third take of your blues. But to your like, point, they don't have lapel mics. There's not like these like indiscreet hidden cameras around. You know what I mean? There's a fucking ginormous boom, boom <laughs> mic over them. Remember they having these conversations. You're, you're, everyone's going to change when they're like that, like either consciously or subconsciously, you know, like, and all I'm saying is like, I think George Martin was like hyper intelligent to the point where he walks in the studio Sees a hidden camera. It's like, okay, hello. You know what I mean? And kind of goes about his day. Like, I, that hidden camera was like a whole shed in the office. It was like not that sleek. It's hilarious. Is there a man in there? It can't be like so. robo controlled. It looked like a cheap security station where someone's just like one sided glass <laughs> looking at <out> type thing. Steve, you didn't like when Paul McCartney looks back at the cops? No. Playing? I thought that was a badass moment. I liked it a lot. No, I don't think that was organic at all. I think it's more along the lines of what Josh said. I think that's, you know, I got my shot and I'm excited about it. And I think, I don't think it was organic in the way that most people think it is. Because I think Paul was looking at this. I mean, of course he was. And it was meant to be that way. as much more than just an album. It was you know, hey, I got my shot of, you know, the cops coming up and trying to take us down. What I'll say this against the rooftop performance, it's not a concert concert, right? No. It's not like Simon and Garfunkel's free concert in Central Park. Like, they're playing the same songs over and over again. <laughs> That's kind of a nuisance a little <laughs> bit. Right? A glorified uh, rehearsal. Have you guys heard the new albums? On There's a new album on Spotify just called, like, The Concert. And Get Back starts it off two versions of it. And then it also is the last song. Um, so there are some repeats. But if you just listen through the middle of the album, it's actually really, it's just really fun. Last but, topic I have. Go oh, ahead, yeah. Josh. Sorry. No, I was like, but that's enough of that. Last topic I have. Stevie, I'll come to you for this. You kind of convinced me that Don't Let Me Down is the best song on let it be and it's the one from this rooftop for rooftop performance it's not on on let it be but it's during the making of this so i always considered it's on like the hey jude like single yeah album yeah it's on the hey jude album doesn't matter because let it be was edited post hawk b-side for get back listen let it be came out after abbey road and was edited post hawk by 
Paul McCartney and George Martin to try and make something of this. So I, I don't hold Let It Be Sacred in the same way that I do like the other albums. That it's came a jam, out though. I, I Every time they played it, I got pumped. Oh, Let It Be the song? No, Don't Let Me Down. Oh, Don't Let Me Down. But yeah, Stevie, it's your favorite song. Why do you love that song? Try and articulate <sighs> what about that song makes it so great. So I don't like when to go into a whole thing here, but I'll explain why. No, it's, it's... go into the whole thing. I want to hear it. This is the space. You and I have talked about why I'm not a huge Beatles fan. And notoriously for years, Beatles are overrated, I... Stevie. But what I say to you after I watch is that I'm smart enough to know why they, they're considered one of the greatest of all times. Just mm. I don't love them because I like them much more. Like if their whole thing was like Helter Skelter, I would consider the Beatles. Oh my God. I like a much more fast tempo, you know, harder voice behind in vocals. And on Don't Let Me Down, I can just hear John's angst and that voice coming through. And he even talks about it when they're in the recording studio, like, hey, like my throat can't take much more of this. You know, I have like three more good takes of me and that's about it. Because he's really putting his all into the back of that song. And it's just one of those songs, it's a powerful song. It's not a fast song. It sounds like a love song, but it's also a really sad song at times. It just, um, I don't know, I think it's one of the better Beatles songs out of their entire catalog, personally. And John's voice just kills it. And when you have Billy Preston on the back with the electric keyboard, it just sounds so incredible. John Lennon's presence makes Paul McCartney's uh, music so much more serious. You know what I mean? Like when you have a Paul McCartney poppy song and you hear John Lennon being like screaming, don't let me down. You know, there's so much more like feeling in that. Yeah. And, and like even the beginning of that song when it's just John singing it, and there's no backing to it. It's just so powerful. I think you kind of just summed up the Beatles, though. It's like, that's why, to me, Paul McCartney's solo career wasn't that great. And honestly, compared to the Beatles, none of their albums were that great. And it's they filtered stuff through each other. And for as much angst as there was, there was like obviously competition in impressing each other. And so... Once they lost that, I think they lost their edge. And like Paul McCartney just fell off this edge into cheesiness. Like some of his songs that are on his later albums are like legacy ruining to me. Like, <laughs> like I, I'm not saying he's canceled for them, but like I know that those songs came out of his head. So it's like, oh, this is the guy that wrote yesterday. Like what's going on here? Like, Hey, hey stop real quick. Uh, edit point. I actually hit the space bar and my recording stopped and then a new thing came up and it's going over things that I've said already. What? So I'm just going to stop. Yeah, yeah but, but jo- what, what's, what's happening? happening? Talk us through with detail. Okay, so I set, my, I set my... And just to circle back around to Stevie's point and my point about Paul being lame... The worst version that I've heard of Get Back. Like, his version when he's making it up on the spot in that chair, that's great. But the version after he sees the cop and he starts ad-libbing and he says, says, quote, You've been out too long, Loretta. You've been playing on the roofs again, and that's no good. And you know your mama doesn't like it. She'll get angry. She's going to have you arrested. And it comes off 
so poorly in the music. <laughs> I'll stop harping. Stevie, you hate the song Get Back, right? With a passion. Do you like the version where Paul McCartney sings about Pakistanis better? I just don't like that song. But what if it's a protest song? Does that work it any doesn't better? Matter. No, I don't. I really don't like the beat or the harmonies of that song at all. Sounds like something you could sing well, Stevie. Get back, get back, boom, get back, boom. It's. I don't know. I love Billy Preston on that song though. It's a jam. That's fine. I mean, Billy Preston's great. Sure. I just don't like the harmonies or the beat of that song or how it functions. I think it's. Did you like him coming up with it though? It's very. I think harmonies. I think anybody can create something out of nothing is great. I just don't like what he created. I can like the process of it and not like the creation itself. Yeah. I just find that song to be very remedial and Paul to be very pompous when he was so proud of how he created that. Uh, so yeah, that's... Um, what have you ever created, Stevie? Spoilers. I helped found this podcast, which can shit on Get Back. I was going to say, <laughs> too, so... Um, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's not a, one of my favorite songs at all by the Beatles. Paul McCartney's process I think we're in the final thoughts at this point but it's a it's a constant theme throughout the documentary how meticulous he is I love at the ending I, I don't this may have even come after part of the credits where we see all of the Beatles uh heirs names as producers which is super cool but we see them like recording let it be for like the 10th time or whatever like can you imagine if we tried to do this podcast that way, Josh? Like we re-recorded bits or had scripts or something? We wouldn't have so many hosts at this point. We wouldn't have That's so many sure. podcasts at this point. That's for sure. <laughs> but any other final thoughts on Let It Be? It's a nine-hour documentary, so of course we couldn't talk about everything. I got one. Please, Brett. Okay. Uh, towards the very, very end, before they get on the roof, though, uh, there was a moment that I really liked. And there were a couple moments like this throughout. But it was the moment when John and Paul are, they sing like a whole song with their teeth closed. Oh my God. And it's not like, it's not like that was, it's not like that was like an amazing song or anything, but like I actually looked at Brittany and I said, this is the kind of stuff that I love. This is the kind of stuff that shows me that even though they might fight sometimes, that these two people love each other and that they are virtuosos and they realize that like they are kind of one still, even if they've kind of fallen apart that, and they might fight and argue, but like seeing them do that reminded probably reminds them and other people why they started making music, such great music together in the first place. And I, I really like to help. I mean, like it's like the most fun they're having the entire time. They're just being silly, but they're also doing something. I mean, I'm, I couldn't. Brett and I have talked about this before, but them deciding early on to put Lennon McCartney on, jointly on every song they make yeah no matter who writes how much mm -hmm. just really works for them that's the and only think, reason they lasted so long is that <laughs> royalties yeah, probably but i think also like the biggest difference i see is they're both virtuosos but john's passion is like to send his who he is through his music whereas paul's personality is like driving for better music because his personality is like, is his music. It just doesn't seem to go much <laughs> deeper than that, <laughs> but the combination is awesome. So no. And like 
my favorite things of Paul are always when him and like John are like really engaging and on the same level. And there's like this one shot where they're talking into like these boom microphones that are slowly being like lifted away from them. Um, it's just joyous content. I think I love what you're saying there, Brett. Yeah. And I'm, I'm with you. I said that earlier in the pod and I said to Brittany throughout, like I wish as much. I like to see what we saw in this. I wish we could have gone back two years because I, I, mm-hmm. I feel like John was checked out at this time. I said that earlier. I think he's already kind of thinking about the other kind of music he wants to make. He's kind of already he got- has pers- he has perspective. That's different than checked out. Okay. His perspective is Yoko. Call it what you want, but like I would have liked to have seen. I, I would kill to see a seven hour and forty five minute documentary of Led Zeppelin making uh, I don't know presents or physical graffiti or uh, plug your ears TV or like Pink Floyd making the wall because I promise you that would have been a heck of a lot more contentious than this was. But, well, that like, Led Zeppelin doc documentary is just going to be a bunch of satanic rituals and like possibly. demons and stuff. But like I'm just saying, this is like possibly. I want this for everybody now. That's how mm-hmm. much I like. I, I didn't know anything about these people really. I mean, it's like I know these people now. It's it's crazy. I know I'm I'm only seeing a snapshot of them at a certain period of time, but like it's a really good snapshot. 150 mm-hmm. times more than I've ever heard John Lennon talk. And I really like that. I like seeing them interact. I mean, it's it's literally behind the curtain. I think it's amazing. I mean, like it or not, I think that's the one thing about this that's amazing that we got to see that. I think it's awesome. First of all, I strongly disagree with your take a long time ago that The Two of Us is not a great song or an amazing song or whatever you said. That's like one of my favorite songs about like bromance friendship and the fact that it's like these two Beatles who are at odds at this point in their relationship more so than they've ever been since they were teenagers, right? Like since in the last decade, Dude, you know, what's funny. You talk about the teeth. Son? Uh, the two of us. Ba, 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 I think ba, he was ba, just ba, saying ba. the teeth version. The teeth thing. Yeah. Great. No, I wasn't yeah, yeah, yeah. on the song. I was saying, yeah, go ahead, Josh. Yeah. No, I was, I wasn't saying that Pappy. I miss, they were just being goofy. That's a great song. Pat Paul has claimed in later interviews that like that song is all about him and Linda, but like, Dude, hit the line, we have memories longer than the roads we've traveled. That's like he's known Linda for like two years. What's he talking about? <laughs> this is clearly about him and John to me. It always has been. Well, that's the whole thing. It's like, keep in mind, Paul McCartney is a producer on this thing and he's a billionaire. And if the press says that he had no editorial control, there's a whole scene where the Beatles are obsessed with what the press is saying about them right they're reading paul mccartney is singing what the newspaper (laughs) says like he's a very aware person so i i can't necessarily trust that he had no editorial control on this stevie though my last final thought john lennon's goofiness i think there are some types of personalities who would look at that like the teeth or how he's like sometimes like sings things in different voices. Yeah. Right? yeah he does the kind of repeat in different, uh, different keys just to kind of fuck with Paul. That would like annoy <laughs> a lot of like type A people. I think that's essential. Good locker room person behavior. Where do you come down on it? I think John doing something like that, no matter what kind of state he was in, I think he was a very aware and smart human being. I think John was probably reading the room trying to lighten things up just a little bit. A thousand percent. Like yes. we can be, 
you know, we don't have to be, we need this done, we need this done, you know, we need this to be perfect. We can kind of be ourselves in between and then kind of figure it out from there. I think that was John just kind of trying to lighten the room a little bit because Paul for a little bit of this was very much so, uh, you know, even his black turtlenecks would say, you know, a very dark cloud. I think too, I've learned a lesson from John and like you, if you see two people like on your team struggling or having some sort of like argument or tension you don't always have to jump in right away and be peacemaker or something like it's okay to let those things play out Mm -hmm. to an extent and i think just lastly since i've shat on every beetle i think so far one thing john does and i've always noticed this is he will break out into these like weird berserk fast movement either dances (laughs) or like kick jerks and I don't like it when he does that. That makes drug. me feel so weird. Drugs are a hell of a drug. Man. <laughs> I've seen that in like his old concerts, like Beatlemania too. Like he'd do this like funny dance, like kind of mocking dance, and it's like it's really off-putting when he suddenly moves quickly. <laughs> Any other final thoughts on Let It Be? There's a time when Heather Eastman is sitting next to Ringo on the drums. And they're almost literally wearing the same outfit. (laughs) They both have a vest on and some crazy shirt under it. I'll send it to you guys. Um, And Basset Hound Eyes. My last final thought, going back to the uh, Lennon-McCartney partnership. What you have to understand about the Beatles is that spirit of collaboration was kind of historic in the pop music sense, right? Like there weren't bands that were presented as equals before the Beatles. You had Buddy Holly and the Crickets, you know, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. It's like the the star and mm-hmm. the backup band. And then you see the Beatles on Ed Sullivan and there's no lead singer. You have John and Paul facing each other, the lefty and the righty. You have George on lead guitar, but then Ringo's on the risers above, above everybody. And I think that's like really important to learn. Like to be the, fair though, a lot of those bands don't start out that way. Uh, they were the miracles and they were the temptations. They were the Supremes. Right. Uh, like one person gets bigger. But again, it kind of goes but to at any point. point but it could have been Lennon and McCartney. Yeah. For sure. It goes they to your could... point. I'm just saying, I don't think a lot of these people like like being put in the background like that. But, but the, yeah, and the Beatles chose not to do that. And I think like one of the things that I'm most drawn to from the Beatles, and you go back to things like Hard Day's Night or just like interviews they have when they first arrived in America, is like how clever they are and how close they seem. In a documentary about this time, you know, it's not as bad as like maybe some things make it out to be, but we don't see everything, you know, in this key conversations that there were no cameras for. But it's it to me, it's kind of hard to watch a documentary about this time. I would much rather see them in Hamburg or much rather see them. Oh, my God, they look the exact same. But it's 100 <laughs> percent right. Uh, but I'd much rather see them in Hamburg or making Revolver or like making Sergeant Pepper, like then if I, if I, you know, if I was God, I could watch like one time of the Beatles. It wouldn't be this time. But as a person who loves the Beatles, I have to give us a hard yes with a caveat of please don't subject someone who doesn't like the Beatles to <laughs> don't this. Do, don't do it. Because I don't think there's anything to gain. 
from that. This is very in the weeds. This is very like the anthology of just like listening to alternate takes of songs, which either really appreciate or will drive you fucking crazy because it's like literally nine hours long. But for me, very hard yes. Josh, you've been driving this podcast for months and months and months now. What do you give Let It Be? Linda McCartney doesn't really take that great of pictures, does she? <laughs> Pretty average pedestrian. R.I.P. For an Eastman, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this, I thought it started off pretty rough in Twickenham, and like I wasn't a big fan, honestly, of the opening montage, like historical flashbacks and like timeline. I wasn't a huge fan of the non-lip-synced stuff. And frankly, almost all of the music, unfortunately, that they played outside of Beatles stuff, I was unfamiliar with. So that wasn't like scratching a nostalgic itch for me when they would play oldies music. But this really grew on me over the eight hours to the point that I think I watched the last two in like one session that ended at like 345 one morning because I just like couldn't fall asleep watching it. Um. Thanks for finally gathering up all of you guys to talk about this because I've been wanting to talk about John Lennon's fast movements and just some of this like little stuff for so long that it feels really good to get off my chest. And it's a it's a big yes for me. I am a mega Beatles fan, basically. Um, and it like Brett said, I think Brett, had, you had a real, lot of great points on this pod tonight. Thank Brett. you. I love it. But I, I do feel like I know the Beatles to an extent now that like wasn't really even possible yeah, before this, no matter how much I might read or listen to the Niagara tapes or whatever, like this is kind of the thing now. This is a cornerstone of Beatles lore. Now it's, it's that good. Um, I would say if he, the, the most definitive thing I've ever ingested from the Beatles is the anthology documentary series, which is like, I think 13 or 14 hours long, but I watched that before the Beatles class I had in college. And to be honest, I probably only learned like 5% of the things I know about the Beatles from that class. And most of it was from the anthology, um, like, like straight one for one things that he pulled from that. Um, but Brett, your yes or no, but I also want to get honorable mentions to those from this documentary who are no longer with us. Go ahead and do your Brett segment. Who's dead? Oh, so many people. Uh, I know you're ready to go on that, so fire away. No, actually, I wasn't. Uh, Glenn, Glenn's still alive. Uh, That's Billy, the opposite of what I'm asking. Going for. the opposite route. Uh, Lynn, obviously, Linda. <laughs> Lynn's still doing well. McCartney's dead. Yeah, I believe so. I, I, I have to bring something up. I, sorry. It, it's not funny at all. Please do not think it's funny. It's just crazy that Linda McCartney died in Tucson, Arizona. Is that weird? I feel really bad because like her connection with Paul while you pull up who's dead is like the best relationship I think anyone has. Like, I don't think John and Yoko is super healthy. I don't get great vibes from Ringo's relationship. Obviously, George, Patty Boy leaves her. Like, John and Linda hey, you know George, George slept with Ringo's wife. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Not good vibes <laughs> all around. While we're waiting on that for Brett, I just want to say quick thing, quick shout out to Matt Troll. 
he said he was really pumped to see us doing this uh, movie, um, and he's a big Beatles fan, so he's interested in our take in it, and I just wanted to shout out to that Patreon member here at the end of the pod. Josh, you have a wife. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How would you rank the Beatles' wives? In what way? No, Brett, keep doing your research. I think I'm good. Uh, Paul okay, and Linda, then. I think, have like the healthiest like real-life relationship, and I think... John and Yoko, I believe they're in love, but I think like what you said, it's not that healthy. And if you look up what John Lennon did from like here on out in his winding road of a relationship with Yoko, it wasn't super stable all the time. So those are the two I know best, and we're Brett's back with us. So okay. last weekend, Brett, who all is dead? Obviously, everyone knows John Lennon's been gone for a long time. Uh, George died 20 years ago. Linda died almost 25 years ago. Good for George Martin. He died, but he made it all the way to 2016. Good for him. 90 years old. 90. Uh, Glenn, yes, Glenn Johns is still alive. Alan Parsons is still alive. Phil Spector just died last year. Uh, As I mentioned, Billy Preston. I don't know if I did mention, but he died young. Um, You know, older than, never mind. Um, yeah, he died at 50-something uh, after a long, decent career. And that's pretty much, I think, all the little kids. Yoko Ono's alive. Mm. Don't, God, I didn't check the wives. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Well, just get into your yes or no for Let okay. It Be. Great, great segment. Patty Boyd's still alive. Layla. Um, so, yeah, this is a hard, hard yes for me. I thought it was awesome. Uh, I know... Um, and I get it. I get what she's saying. Brittany, Brittany like, wanted there to be more interviews. But I was trying to tell her that I didn't feel like that was what it was about. But I, I guarantee that she's not the only one who thinks that. Like, maybe. And she also didn't like how it, they didn't go into how it was finished. Um, you know, like, later the next year and after John had already left. And John and George went to Phil Spector and how that all turned out. I wish they would at least put something there. But hard, hard yes. It's amazing. It makes me want. It makes me yearn for more, but, you know, having the presence of mind to, like, tape something like that, record something, not a lot of people did. So, um, hard, hard yes. Uh, Awesome. I loved it. Last but not least, prolific Beatles hater. Oh, my. Let it be. Let it be. Uh, Before I get into this, Pap, who do you think had a worse breakup, um, Simon and Garfunkel or Paul and George? Not Paul and George, Paul and John. Probably Paul and John. You um, think so? I think Simon and Garfunkel had more bitter feelings, but Paul and John left way more on the table. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's way more of a missed opportunity. And Simon and Garfunkel got together and made a live album. They make a, a joke about it. They're like, "We've literally never argued before." And they're like, "Yeah, I know." It's really at least funny. Paul and John were like somewhat equally talented. <laughs> There's like a chasm between Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> Simon and, and Garfunkel. What's funny is Paul Simon was super jealous of Garfunkel. So probably yeah, for his Paul voice. Paul Simon wishes he never gave uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water to Garfunkel, but the concert in Central honest, Park he, is one of the greatest live albums. Yes, it is. Sang. He couldn't have sang that song. I know you guys love him, but he could not have sang that song. No, the fucking choir boy had to do it. Yep. Better voice. Um, I will give this the hardest of yeses, Pap. Even though, wow. even though I don't like have a crazy love for the Beatles, um, I think stuff like this is incredible. Like I said earlier, even though if I don't love the creation 
that something turns into. I do love the process of making that creation. I think that's something so cool, especially like music. And as someone who loves music, and Brett, I know this will shock you. I have two album. I have two albums of um, Pink Floyd, an open version of The Wall and an original press non-open version of The Wall. So even I can wow. get down with that album. Um, but yeah, this is Feature absolutely. Feature spoilers pick The Wall. What's that, Pat? Feature spoilers pick The Wall. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, but I think this was just nine hours of something that was absolutely incredible. And the Beatles are iconic. And to watch something so in-depth like this, even if it's just a snapshot of their careers, was probably something more than, than like we'll ever get, you know, other than this. Mm-hmm. So this is really, a, I think, a cornerstone piece in, like, Beatles lore, like Josh said earlier. And if I had to say my favorite song of all Beatles, it would be um, I've Just Seen a Face from the American version of Rubber Soul. There you go. That's a preserved... Nine-hour documentary from Peter Jackson. Eight, wasn't it? Eight-nine. Extremely high batting average for a man who's occupied 25 (laughs) hours of content on this podcast. But um, this is spoilers. So as is tradition, we got a Fab Four here tonight. We have some trivia. We're going to go from the order that I perceive most Beatles knowledge to least Beatles knowledge. All um, right. This is the closest to math has involved. Oh boy. Ooh. Tonight's trivia is the closest to the population of Liverpool in 2019 minus the population of Liverpool in 1969. So to the population of Liverpool in 2019 Minus the population of Liverpool in 1969. Josh, I think you have the most Beatles knowledge. Also, the winner of this gets to toss the spoiler man. So I feel like there's some sort of trick. There's some sort of trick to this. (laughs) Um, here's what I'll I'll say: ten thousand, folks. Josh says ten k. Brett, I think you have the second most Beatles knowledge. Which is low. There's a huge chasm <laughs> between... Definitely, definitely a big cat. And I didn't even know about that rooftop thing. Uh, I want to... you call oh, me sorry. Big Cat? No, I, I, my mic was down. I didn't realize it. Um, big Pat. I will say... 150,000. 100. What do you mean by Big Cat? Big Ooh. Pat. 150k. Last but not least, Stevie. I I know you don't like the Beatles. You do have two albums. But do you like Liverpool? The Rubber Soul American <laughs> version is fantastic. It's, it's like the best of hell. So good. And the best of Rubber Soul combined. But yes. what what is the number of people in Liverpool in 2019 minus the number of people in Liverpool in 2000 or sorry, 1969? <clears throat> I'm a Josh. I think it's a trick. Um, what did Josh say? 10,000? Josh okay. said 10,000. I will say 9,000. Well, you're a bloody wanker. Is it like a negative number? That's all I can think of with like the, a pap question. <laughs> the population of Liverpool 
in 2019 is 496,784. That's less than I was hoping. The population of Liverpool in 1969 is 1,299,000. <laughs> Why would they go negative negative number? In negative 802,216. Okay, so you had the lowest <laughs> number. The number line reigns supreme tonight. What happened? What happened? You win ever. Did, did like, Liverpool get annexed into like another city? What happened? It's possible. Uh, Gerrymandered? Like the Rust Belt. Jerry you know? Pacemakered? What happened? Listen, you have to ask Paul McCartney that. But Stevie, you're in control of this podcast now. Say what you will and toss it. <laughs> um, I just want to say uh, thank you, Pat, for hosting this episode. I know it's really tough to host stuff that has so much information and guided along as seamlessly oh, yeah. as you did. So Good really job. thank you for that. And thank you to Josh and Brett for watching this along with myself. Uh, this is a long, long watch. And like you guys said earlier, don't make a non-Beatles lover watch this. But if you are a music lover, and even if you don't love the Beatles, if you can tolerate them, 100% watch this. It's really, really eye-opening what goes into the creative process. And I had so much fun talking with you guys about it. Uh, So thank you, and thank you for those who who are listening. And that was Spoilers. I got blisters on my fingers! Thank you to our patrons. Nick. It's good. It's, you know, musically and it's great. Druid King. I'm here because I want to do a show. Matt Troll. Ever since Mr. Epstein passed away, it's never been the same. The Meg. Who'd have the children? Dick James. Oh, yeah. Well, we should get a hammer. And an anvil. See you later. Brother Brian. Did you watch the and, uh, BBC too? Yeah, there was that science fiction thing. Was the science fiction any good? It was amazing. Nurse Stacy. Where is your mother these days? Brother Ellis. I've got blisters on my fingers. Wow. Whatever that's called, where you skip the thing back or the record backwards or something. Don't they say that? I don't think there's any confirmed actual backwards Beatles things. They they did stuff backwards for sure. Well, I mean, like, they played music backwards on, like, uh, Rain intentionally, but there's no, like... There's a bunch of backwards guitar messages yeah. as well, like in I'm Only Sleeping, but... Paul is dead, yeah. man. No, I'm with you. <laughs> Josh, do you know that when you started doing that, you sounded like the freaking devil? Brett is freaked out. That's just what you think the devil sounds like, because people said it's backwards no. records playing. No, t- <laughs> tell me nobody else heard that. Nobody else heard that.
His voice got all distorted. You didn't hear that? Oh, God. Sorry, I better Brett. go. Brett, I'm your bro. I'm feeling okay. I'm not feeling possessed. Or anything. All right, that's good. All right, see everybody. That was really fun. Good job, Pat. Thanks. I see both parts. Right, Brett. See you guys. Josh, you're editing this, right? I'll edit this. But I thought maybe you'd uh, edit like five or six of the Lord of the Rings ones. I can do that. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> if you'd like to request an episode, hear your name read by Spoiler Man, or even just help us make podcasts, please check us out on patreon.com slash spoilers podcast. Now get back to listening to our other pods. That was spoilers. Share it.